Good morning. Thank you, Randy, Kimberly, for the song selection this morning. Uh, it goes right with what we're going to talk about. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 11 this morning. Matthew chapter 11. This morning I have entitled the message, The Heart of Our Savior. And I will admit, I am relying on men that are more skilled than myself. Uh, but what has been spoken to me and I have read uh, has really spoken to my heart and into my life. And so that is what, over the next few opportunities that I have to share with you, uh, again in October a couple times, uh, we're going to me meander through this text of Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30, and follow along as I read those verses this morning. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have to be here this morning. I ask now, Lord, that you would condescend to us, help us to understand uh, who you are, at your heart, Lord. And many times we miss this. And we're so concerned about so many other things. Help our hearts to be still. And us to be quiet. And us to listen to your word. Help us in this. Open our minds and hearts. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. The immediate context here in verses 25 through 30 is that Christ gives rest to the unbeliever that comes to him. Uh, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to move in and out this morning talking to the believer and the unbeliever because the answer is the same, is that we rest in Christ. Uh, Christ is our rest as we come to him in conversion at the moment of salvation. But after that, he is still our rest. When we come to Christ, He is still rest for us as believers. Charles Spurgeon points out that in the four gospel accounts given to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 89 chapters of biblical texts, there's only one place where Jesus tells us about His own heart, and that's in verses 28 through 30 of Matthew 11. These have been words of comfort for millennia, for many believers. 
But not all of what Christ says are comfortable words. For example, look up at verse 21 in the same chapter. It says, Woe to you, Chorazon! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Those are not comforting words. Those are not comforting words for those cities and ultimately to anybody who rejects Christ. But just following those words of judgment is an invitation. And this invitation contains words that give light, strength, hope in a world that can be filled with darkness, that it exploits our weaknesses and crushes hope. Christ wants us to come to him and unburden ourselves. Christ says in verse 29 that if we come to him, he will give you rest. I don't know where you are this morning or what you're going through or how you feel. Maybe you're a believer and you feel that your heavenly father is distant. Maybe you're grappling with not understanding why you're going through some sort of physical issue or a spiritual battle. Perhaps you feel that the weight and the burden that you carry is just too heavy to bear. Maybe you feel like your head is just above water, just enough for you to panic. And that's not to say that you can't have joy in your life or that you don't experience that or that you don't have happiness at times, but the blue sky seems to give way to dark clouds so quickly. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer at all. There's no rest. There's no real comfort. Everything is just off and all you really have is distraction. There is a current that lies underneath and all the unbeliever really can do to deny that restlessness, that something is seriously wrong, is to seek to replace those thoughts and feelings by distractions. To create a lot of noise, the noise of music, TV, social media, materialism, fantasizing about the future and potential accomplishments. You're always somewhere else because reality is too difficult. But when it's quiet and you're left with no more distractions, you're daydreaming about you, what your life's going to be wanes. There's that burden, there's that weight, there's a restlessness in your soul that you can't get rid of no matter what you do. Listen, unbeliever, Christ wants to unburden you. He wants to give you rest. He is reaching out to you with open arms to come to Him and lay your burdens on Him. Now listen, I am a firm believer in the doctrines of grace. I have preached messages in this church on the defense of all five points of Calvinism. But what keeps you from coming to Christ is your own unwillingness. Turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. John chapter 5. Verses 39 
and 40. Jesus says, starting in verse 39, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that bear witness about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I'm a Calvinist, not a fatalist. In John 6.37 it says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. That's sovereign election. But the last half of that verse says that, He that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. The only thing that keeps you from Christ this morning is your own stubbornness, your own unwillingness, and your suppression of truth. Stop distracting yourself and come to Him. He will give you rest. Listen, Christians, we can do this to some degree as well. We can clutter up our lives in ways where we don't have to think about what we're going through because we just simply don't know how to handle it a lot of times. And maybe that restlessness creeps in at times when everything is quiet. Maybe there's a lack of hope. And the only thing that gives us the rest that we're looking for is found in Christ. For the unbeliever, rest is in Christ. For the believer, rest is in Christ. And as I introduce this passage to you today, look at verse 25 of Matthew 11 again, where it says, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. I want you to understand that there is joy here. Our Savior is speaking out a heart of joy. I praise you, Father. He is overflowing with praise to the Father. In the previous section that I mentioned earlier, there is a heaviness when He's declaring judgment. A heaviness of spirit when He condemns those cities and those that live in them. But in our text that we're looking at, there is joy. Here is the heart of our Savior. There's all sorts of things that the world thinks about Christ. There's all sorts of things that even believers think about Christ. Many have this view that He's a strict disciplinarian. That He wants to remove all pleasure from your life. I had this idea for a long time that God was a lot like my fifth grade teacher. She was like a vulture waiting in a tree for me to step out of line. And when I did the slightest, she swooped in and the punishment was harsh. Maybe you see in your mind's eye Christ's face and it seems to always have a frown. Maybe you think He's completely disconnected from you, but He is the very opposite. What He wants to give us is pleasure. What he wants is to remove the burdens. Turn with me to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Today we're going to move in and out of passages so that you can see the heart of our Savior. Matthew 18, look at verse 12 through 14. What do you think? If any man has 100 sheep and the one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 
on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? And if it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. In this way, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perishes. Jesus lifts the sheep. Who are the sheep? We're sheep. He lifts us up. He carries us to safety. He rejoices over the one that is found. How easily we forget our joyful, gentle shepherd. And so there is great joy that our Savior has in this passage. It's almost like He's bursting at the scenes to tell us this marvelous, incredible, much needed news. Listen, He knows there are burdens that we cannot bear on our own. The weight of things feels like it's crushing us at times. Turn over to John chapter 4 where Brother Harry read just a few moments ago and I want to read back through it, not all of what he read, but to read large portions of this to let this sink into your thinking how our Savior interacts with the downtrodden, the outcast. John 4, look at verse 7 and following. It says in verse 7, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How do you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, being a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst ever. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come back here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come back here. What a shift. But Christ is after her heart. The woman answers and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you had five husbands. And the one who you have is not your husband. This you have truly said. Skip down to verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point his disciples came and they were marveling that he was speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you speaking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. Is this not the Christ? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Down to verse 39. 
For that city, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who bore witness. He told me all things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his words. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is truly the Savior of the world. What an incredible encounter. First notice this woman coming to the well. And Harry pointed this out. It's at noon. It's in the middle of the day. It's the hottest part of the day. Most of the time women would come early in the morning or late in the evening, but this woman is coming around noon. She seems to be coming by herself. So it seems that this woman is an outsider in her community. She's been shunned because of her sin and immorality. Also want you to notice something else here. This is all planned. Our Savior is waiting for her to come to the well. He approaches her and he asks her for a drink. The Samaritan woman is taken back by this because number one, she is a Samaritan and a Jew is asking her for a drink. She's also a woman. Look at, in verse 27, the disciples marveled that he was speaking with a woman. She's a second class citizen in that society. So she's not only shunned by her community, she's shunned by other ethnic groups because she's considered to be a half-breed to the Jews. She's a second-class citizen. But Jesus is concerned with her spiritual life. And so he offers her living water, which is himself. And she wants this miraculous water so that she will not have to come and draw water or be thirsty again. And then Christ gets to the heart of the matter, the spiritual state of this woman. I want you to see the heart of Christ here. He's not put off. He doesn't stand back from the stigma that she has. He's not repulsed by this woman. He doesn't stand back from the racial issues that is prevalent. He doesn't stand back from her spiritual disease, her sin. Jesus Christ moved to this woman knowing exactly in the depths of her heart who she is and he doesn't move away. He's not repulsed. He moves to her. Listen, your Savior and mine knows each one of us. He knows every horrible thought that you and I have ever had. He knows every blasphemous word that we have ever uttered. He knows every action that nobody else knows. And what does He do? He's the only person in the universe that knows you at your core, what you really are, what you really think, what you're really like, and He moves to you. He's not put off by this woman and her spiritual leprosy. This woman here in verse 29 says she, she comes and she sees a man who told me everything, all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Do you see his heart here? He knows your burdens. He knows my burdens. He knows the weights. And he wants to give rest. 
Christian, He knows you're not what you desire to be. We're not playing any games with Him by thinking we're hiding something from Him. Go to Him for rest. To the unbeliever, He wants to give you rest. You cannot bear the weight of your sin. It will crush you to death for eternity. For everyone else, spiritual leprosy is highly contagious and it is eternally fatal. But Christ is the only one that can come into contact with spiritual leprosy, with sin, and not infect Him. But He cleanses and He destroys the disease and He gives life. Notice back in our text in Matthew 11 and verse 28, it says, Come to Me all who are weary and heavy laden. This is a universal invitation of cleansing and rest. No one needs to be excluded from this invitation. But the problem comes, you have to realize something about yourself. This rest comes for those who are conscious of their burden and they're wanting help. They realize their desperate situation that they're in. And they're seeking grace. They're seeking salvation. They want to be delivered from that. And this is the key. For the one that has no real need, they don't want to hear. For the one that believes they are self-sufficient, the one that is able to do life on their own, they believe they're able to make their own way to heaven. And they refuse to respond. Turn to Luke 18. Luke 18. We'll start in verse 9. Luke 18, 9. And he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying these things to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Who walks away with the burden lifted? Who walks away with rest? It's the tax collector. He realizes that he is in need of the mercy and grace of God and he goes to the only source that there is that can help and he walks away justified. He walks away with the burden lifted. But the Pharisee, he doesn't recognize the burden that's on his back. He doesn't recognize the restlessness in his soul. His eyes are closed to it. He can't see his disease, his spiritual leprosy. His heart is hardened to it. He believes that he can save himself with his own means. 
And he walks away with a burden on his back and it is going to crush him to death. He will bear the weight of that burden for eternity. What burdens do you have? Whatever burdens you have, Christ knows exactly what they are. And He's always working in every area of our lives with all sorts of different kinds of burdens that we have. Yes, our text is about the rest that He gives in Himself that delivers from the burden and penalty of sin, but that's not the end of it. There's more to the story. It's not just about eternity. It's about Christ giving rest in all areas of our life even now. And I think there's four main areas in which we experience burdens and restlessness in this life. And Christ is in the process of not just converting and redeeming souls, but bringing rest in all areas. He's going to make all things right one day. Everything. He will redeem it all. One area that I think we experience burdens in is just the burdens of life. Struggles in general. We all have, and we carry around burdens. It could be the burden about our families, our children, our spouses, our marriages, our parents, your grandkids. It could be loneliness or a sense of hopelessness at times. Maybe it's work-related issues with a boss. Maybe it's the fear of death. Maybe it's financial things. Listen, Christ is in the process of redeeming all of this. We don't get to heaven and find ourselves just redeemed in a glorified body, but our finances are messed up. Or our relationships are all out of whack. Or we're still fighting the grind of Monday morning and the difficulty of work. No, all of that is redeemed as well. God will redeem everydayness. I try to explain to the young people at school that heaven's nothing like what we do here. We get bored, we're tired, we're worn out. None of that's there. Yes, He is using everydayness in our lives. We are all the time running into small struggles and difficulties. And some are more easily managed than others. But Christ cares about your everydayness. It says in Proverbs 18, 14, The spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? Even everydayness can be a burden that we struggle to bear. But Christ, like I said, is not just redeeming souls. He's redeeming our bodies. He's going to redeem creation. He's going to redeem relationships. He's making all things right through the shed blood on the cross. And He's going to redeem everydayness. The struggles that we have at work or home and relationships, the burdens that we carry, they're all going to be made right. The things that are going on in your life are not disconnected from Christ's work in your life. As a believer, we still turn to Him with our everyday burdens, with our anxieties. He cares. He cares. And He gives rest. Now, it may not be in the form that you think it should come. It may be that the circumstances and the difficulties don't disappear But Christ gives mercy and grace and rest in that to view that trial, that difficulty, that anxiety from a Christ-like viewpoint. 
if we will rest in Him and trust Him with what is going on in our lives, we can begin to view things from the eternal perspective. Another category of burdens we experience is the burdens of our failed efforts to be better. We all have this happen to us. We're confronted with the Scriptures or through preaching and we realize we're not what we thought we were. We're not quite as spiritually mature as we once perceived because the Holy Spirit is pulling back the layers a little at a time. If He showed us everything at one time, I think we'd all be huddled up under the bed and wouldn't want to go anywhere. But He reveals it in layers. He's pulling it back so that we see more and more of ourself. And it's like we stand back from ourselves and we hear us say the words and we think, how could I say that? How can I think like that? I'm a Christian. How could I do that? And so what we seek to do is we're going to do better. We're going to be better. If you've read Pilgrim's Progress, you know that Pilgrim is leaving the city of destruction and he has this huge burden on his back and he is asked, where did you get this burden from? He has a book in his hand. It's the Bible. And Christian says, I got my burden by reading this book. I don't know if you experience this or not, but something is revealed in Scripture and you see this thing in your life and it's a burden in your life now and you resolve to do better. Sometimes it seems like it gets even heavier. It's more crushing now once you have clearer vision of the issue. Hear me on this. Religion crushes you. Rules, regulation, legalism, trying to live up to some sort of expectation without Christ, without a relationship with Him, without Christ being central, will crush you. Will crush you. What we do sometimes is we turn the words of Christ completely upside down here. Uh, look at Matthew 11 again. If you notice in verse 28, it says, Come to me, those who have a burden, and I will give you rest, and then take my yoke upon you. We sometimes turn that backwards, upside down. And we've got the yoke first. We take the burden of it on ourselves. But Christ gives rest, then the yoke. The sequence of events here is that you come to Him because you have the burden. You're overwhelmed. And then it says, I will give you rest. And then once you have that rest, then you take on the yoke. Unbeliever, you can't earn your way into heaven no matter what you do. The only thing that's going to drop the burden is you coming to Christ with that burden. He then gives you rest. And out of that, then He gives you what you're supposed to do, which is to honor Him with your life. Another area in which we experience burdens is our unforgiven sin. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I don't have anything to be forgiven about. I don't have anything to be guilty of. Turn to Mark chapter 10. See a very sad story of a man that thought that. Mark chapter 10, look at verses 17 through 22. I also see the heart of our Lord here. Mark 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, Good teacher, 
What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. In verse 20, the young man says, I've kept all these commandments. This man doesn't see his need. He doesn't see his sin and his guilt. He looks at himself and he thinks himself pretty good. But Jesus shows that he is an idolater. That he worships himself and that he worships his money, his property. Jesus says, if you want to be complete, sell what you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And then there's this heart-wrenching verse where the young man is grieved. He's grieved because he is exposed for his idolatry. He now knows he is a sinner. But he holds so tightly to his money, to his possessions. And he walks away with the burden of unforgiven sin. His burden will crush him for all eternity. The person that can give him rest and alleviate this burden that he has is standing right in front of him. Maybe you're here this morning and you carry the burden of unforgiven sin. You carry the guilt and maybe you don't even realize you are in great need and great peril. Maybe you think you've signed the card. Maybe you think you said the prayer. But your life shows that you live as a practical atheist. You claim the name of Christ. You claim to know the truth. But there's been no real inward change. You still live for yourself. Maybe you've changed outwardly to some degree because you're conforming to the environment you're in. But inside you know you haven't changed. Inside you have a fist clenched around yourself, around what you want out of life, and you're unwilling to let that go for Christ. Don't walk out of here today with that fist clenched around whatever it is that you're holding on to. And walk away grieved because you can't let go of what's in your hand and heart and come to Christ for rest. I've been a pastor for a while. And I've seen people on their deathbeds holding to their self-sufficiency. Holding on to their stubbornness. Holding on to their rebellion. And they do not want to humble themselves. You ask them, do you know Christ? Have you been converted? I've heard all sorts of answers. I've heard the answer that I think I'm okay. But you see their life and you go, they're not okay. You're not okay. I've had others listen politely and they never respond at all. Looking back, my heart breaks when I think about looking into those eyes and there's an emptiness. There's a loneliness. There is fear. But they have their hands clenched so tightly around whatever it is they want, their stubbornness, wanting to do it their way. And the burdens that they're bearing is crushing them to death. You don't have to bear them. Come to Christ and He will give you rest. 
So we may be dealing with burdens that life brings, just general struggles in life. Maybe we're carrying the burdens of the attempts to try to do better and to be better. Maybe some here are carrying the burden of unforgiven sin. And a fourth area of burdens that we may carry is the burden of sin that we're not able to conquer. Romans 6.6 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves of sin. Paul here is talking about our sanctification. And although we have been saved, if you have been saved, you're no longer under the flesh's control, but we're still susceptible to this sin because we're in these fallen bodies, still in these bodies, in this flesh, and we have a propensity to fall into sin, to deeply go into sin because of our weakness and our desires. And so there is a fight. And for some of you this morning, there may not be a whole lot of fight left in you. Believer, you're dealing with something. You're doing battle with something in your life this morning that you can't seem to conquer. And the reason is many times we're trying to do it in our own strength. We haven't really turned ourselves to the Lord and gone to Him for rest and to trust Him that His way is best. His way is best. Sin, whether in a believer or an unbeliever, never, ever, ever, ever gives you what it promises. Never does. It always kills and destroys. Some of you may remember Virgil's poem, The Unneeded. The poem says, The living and the dead at His command were coupled face to face and hand to hand till choked with stench and loathed embraces tied the lingering riches pined away and died. This is the idea of being almost like sewn to another body. Some ancient Roman authorities were infamous for their sadistic manner in which they would deal with criminals. What they would do is they would shackle the convicted killer to the dead body of his victim. They would be tied hand to hand, wrist to wrist, foot to foot, face to face. The murderer was very much alive and he was forced to live out the remainder of his life directly bearing the weight and putrefying stench of the dead body that was attached to him. In time, the rotting flesh of the corpse would become consumed with disease, ultimately infecting the killer and leading to a horrible death. They did things like this so people would be terrified of committing a crime. I think that would do it for me. Before our conversion, that is what we were like 24-7. We had this body of death bound to us. And we are invited to come to Christ. And we are able to come. He makes us able to come. And we are alleviated of that burden of eternal death. But the new man resides still in unredeemed flesh. And so what can happen as a believer so many times is that we're drawn back to the rotting corpse. We want to pick it back up again and drape it back on us because we think it's going to do something for us that Christ can't. And we play with sin and before you know it, we're tied to it, bound to it, and we can't seem to conquer it. The genuine believer desires to be free from it but they have messed with it for so long and now it's overtaken them. 
And what we do is we need to, what we end up doing is what we do, what we talked about earlier. We just try to do better. We try to be better. We try to stop doing this. And what do we end up doing? We go right back to it again. Doing the same things. When we're doing that, we're not really resting in Christ. Trusting in Christ. Maybe for you it's materialism. Maybe for you it's your work. Maybe it's ambition. But most likely, it's some sort of hidden secret sin. Even believers think they won't go too far. We'll just indulge this one time and then go back to honoring Christ. That type of thinking will lead to the destruction of your life. Many have lost their testimonies. They've lost their families. They've lost their jobs. And if you are going back and strapping the corpse on you, and you have some sort of thing in your life you can't break, you don't need to break it tomorrow. You don't need to wait till next week. You need to break it now. You need to break it now. But there is a problem. We can't break it by ourselves. You can't get the burden off by yourself. You can't break sin that you're mired up in by yourself. You have to come to the only one who can remove that burden. It tells us in Isaiah 53, 4 that He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Unbeliever, believer, we don't have to carry them. Christ has borne our sins and we do not have to be shackled to them any longer. We need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that Christ can give us rest. We need to rest in this life, trusting Christ with what is going on in our lives. He will give rest no matter the circumstances, no matter the difficulty. He will provide rest. Know that I'm not saying that every problem will dissolve away into bliss. But humbling ourselves and fully trusting Christ with every part of our lives will give us rest and peace that the world has no idea what that's about. They can't understand it. Unbeliever, if you don't know Him this morning, you are tied mouth to mouth, hand to hand, foot to foot to a dead corpse. A burden of sin that will destroy you, not just in this life, but in the one to come for eternity. Let go of your stubbornness in your heart. Humble yourselves before the Savior, repenting of sin and trusting in Him, and He will give you rest. Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for these words of our Lord and Savior that can be a tremendous comfort to those who are burdened, unsaved and saved alike. Help us to go to You, to trust You with every aspect of our lives, to rest in You, uh, that You know what is best for us. Help us, Lord, in breaking the sin's hold of whatever may be grabbing onto us and wanting to pull us back down, that we will continue to look to You, that Your way is best. This way is death, and we want to have nothing to do with it. Lord, thank you for your word. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.